0: We're starting a new sermon series today called A King's Story and uh, the life of David. We're going to spend a while together in this. and um, David is a fascinating individual who had an unbelievable relationship with God, our creator, and yet was, um, was susceptible to making mistakes. And and we're going to walk through these things and try to nail down what's important. I think the life of David is kind of a two-part story. If you look at the life of the king in front of David, the first king of Israel's name was Saul, you don't really get a buildup into who he was before he became king. It was just like, boom, he's king. David, you get this beautiful story Of him becoming king. And it's like you get to see the whole process of what it looked like for him to actually become the king of Israel. So for the month of um, September, we're going to talk about becoming a king. And then in October, we're going to talk about being a king. Because you know there's two parts to most of our lives. There's becoming who God wants us to be. And then there's the challenge of being who God wants us to be. Amen? So here's what I found out. There's us growing, like like we, we had kids pretty early. I was 22 years old. There, there's becoming a parent, and then there's being a parent. And those are two totally different things. I was under the impression at a certain time, you stop being a parent. Somebody told me the other day it never ends, and I thought, if I knew that. <laughs> no. But becoming who God wants you to be is one thing. Then actually Being in that position and holding it is something totally different. So we're going to kind of divide the life of David up like that. So I want you to lean in for the next couple, two months really, into this. So we're going to start right at the beginning today in 1 Samuel about how David is is chosen to be king and what that circumstance looked like. So why don't you stand to your feet and out of reading the word 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to start out there. You can find it on the screen or in your, if you brought your Bible with you, in your phone, in the Hope Community Church app or in the Bible app, you can find it all there. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 1. Say amen if you're ready. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Benadab, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, do you have anybody in the minor leagues here? Are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. It's a strange description, isn't it? You're a good man. You got good eyes. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brother's. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Help us to grow into your position for us, Lord. But more than that, I pray that we would cherish your anointing, your presence. Thank you for moments like this where we can look into your word and know that it can change us. We pray, Lord, that when we walk out of this building, we think differently and do differently than what we previously had done. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, um, you find a breakdown of trust. There was a prophet before Samuel who was. Governing Israel named Eli. Eli was an old man and his sons were extremely corrupt. I won't go into how corrupt they were, but it was bad. Eli is a giant, overweight man who is past his prime and finds out his sons had died. And he, the Bible says, he falls off his chair and dies. That's a tough way to go, isn't it? He, um, God had put Samuel, the man we're talking about now, God had put Samuel in Eli's presence as a young man and had grown up in the presence of Eli the prophet. He had started hearing the voice of God early. The irony is the same circumstance now has found itself in Samuel's life. Samuel is is an older man now with corrupt sons. So in chapter 8, we see this pattern repeat itself again. Samuel is now the prophet Eli has long been dead with his sons, but we see this we see this pattern starting to emerge where the prophet is raised up and hears the voice of God, yet his sons don't adhere to it, and so now now Israel is kind of fed up with it a little bit could you could you acknowledge that i mean that would be a good reason to be kind of fed up with the system wouldn't it? Not that we have anything like that in the United States but the so, so this, raise up, this leader is raised up by God and then the second generation that's supposed to come behind him is not only not fitting, but corrupt. So what happens is um, Israel does an impetuous thing, uh, impulsive thing where they say, hey, um, we're kind of sick of this pattern. We want a king like everybody else. Put yourself in Samuel's shoes, a man who has been leading Israel for, for a long time. That was, a, that was a gut check at that moment. You mean, you mean you don't like, you're rejecting me now. This is, you want to do a totally different thing than God had set up. Because they'd looked around all the other nations around them and they weren't being led the same way. We want to be like everybody else. So Samuel goes before God and says, hey, it's crazy. And God says, just do what they want. They're not rejecting you. They're actually rejecting me. And this has been the pattern since I brought them out of Egypt, actually. The fall in line, reject me, fall in line, reject me, fall in line, reject me. And, and now we're we're Samuel, we're in this pattern again where they've rejected not you, they've rejected me. They, they've asked for someone else to lead them. So he says, Go anoint. Go anoint a man. Samuel goes and anoints a man named Saul, who the Bible describes as a head taller than everybody else in Israel. Like, I mean, this is a man's man you could look at him and he was kingly looking. He starts off pretty well. He's got some success. The the Israelites were in constant battle with the people around him. He's he's having some success, but then then King Saul starts to go off the rails. And it's like he just can't listen. You ever met somebody like that? Not you, of course it's not you. But there's somebody in your family like that. Hmm. He just can't, he just won't listen. He's impatient. The circumstance where where God instructs him through Samuel, hey, wait on the prophet to get there to, to, to make a sacrifice. And, and he's like, I'm not waiting. So he makes a sacrifice. It's, it ends up not being, God's like, you're not listening to me. There's a reason why we do it this way. I'm God and you're the first king. You still have to listen. So it gets so bad at this one point in Saul's kingship that he's, Samuel instructs him, go to the Amalekites and just wipe them all out. Now, I know this, this is a lot to stomach in 2022 where, where we don't wipe everybody out anymore, but this was God's instruction to him. And he doesn't, just doesn't listen. And he goes in and he saves the, some of the animals. He, he lets the king live. And there's a gruesome scene where Samuel shows up. I mean, it's gruesome. And Samuel ends up slaughtering this guy right in front of everybody. The prophet, I'll do what you can't do or won't do. In that moment, Samuel basically tells him, look, God is stripping you of this position. God is not with you any longer. And actually, he doesn't just leave it there. He said, he's going to appoint one of your neighbors now this is, this is significant because this is a break. He's letting Saul know your sons, your lineage will be broken right here. None of your family is gonna be king after you. He says, he's gonna appoint one of your neighbors and then Samuel adds this little dig in there afterwards, who is better than you? You know what I never wanna hear in my life? We're gonna get somebody else and they're better than you. If there's one goal you have, it's not to hear that. Samuel says, God's going to appoint somebody else. He's better than you. And I'm telling you from that point on, man, Saul falls off the wagon. I mean, he goes crazy. So I need to paint the picture for you. When when we get into uh, 1 Samuel Where we're talking about David being chosen as king, this is a contentious point in in the leadership of Israel. Now you've got a crazy, jealous, insecure king who's been told by the prophet that he's being stripped of this thing. His his descendants won't be king after him. Like, Like, it's over for you. To make matters maybe a little bit worse, Samuel doesn't talk to him anymore. Separates himself from him. And so when we pick up where we started, Samuel is grieving the idea that the guy he anointed king didn't work out. God says, Samuel, how long are you going to have a pity party over Saul? Saul made his own decisions. How long are you going to let this go? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Bethlehem to Jesse's house, and I want you to anoint a new king. And he goes, are you kidding me? You're asking me to basically commit suicide here. You're asking me to go anoint another king while the crazy one is still in power. And he is a little bit irritated with me since you had me tell him that you were getting a better guy for the job. See the tension building. But I like how God does this. God says, all right. I see why you could be nervous. Let's play it like this. Go there and do a sacrifice. Nobody will ask. He says, go get a heifer and take it to Bethlehem and and do a sacrifice. Invite Jesse and his boys there. You got some cover now. God's given him an alibi. So he goes to Bethlehem. Here's how I know it's really contentious in Israel. When he shows up to the town, the elders come out and go, ooh. Or, we didn't do anything wrong, did we? Well, are, are, are you coming in peace? He says, no, 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 I'm coming to sacrifice. It's fine. It's coming to sacrifice. And then he gets a hold of Jesse. He says, Jesse, consecrate you and your sons and come meet me out here to sacrifice. We're, we're gonna, just you and me, we're gonna have a little, we're gonna have a little sacrifice together, Jesse. And that's where we pick up the story. Jesse brings all of his sons out except one, the youngest one. Why would you bring him? He consecrates him, which basically means they get cleaned up, put their best Sunday clothes on. And they come out to Samuel. And Samuel, having already anointed a man that looked kingly, was kind of using that reference point now to do the second king. And so Jesse's first son walks up and Samuel goes, surely this is the guy. I mean, he's got nice clothes on, smells good. He's tall. He's good looking. This is going to be easy. I'm in and out. Now you can think, think about Samuel's nervousness about even being there at this time. Think about what he's trying to do. If I can get this over with pretty quickly, I could be in and out. We can, we can roast this heifer, have a couple of drinks and we'll be gone. Don't ever ask your neighbor, Hey, come on over. We're going to roast the heifer and have a couple drinks. Doesn't mean the same thing today. So Jesse's, or Samuel's like, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. God says, hold, push pause in this. I'm not, I'm not looking at the same things you're looking at. So Jesse marches all of his boys before him. And he says, God says, no, 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 no. Finally, Jesse looks at him and says, hey, you can. Like, there's no way God sent me here to not do this. Do, like, do you have any more sons? He says, well, yeah, I got the youngest one, but he's out with the sheep. Bring him. We won't sit down until he gets here. So this is rushed. Go out and get David. Bring him in. So they bring him in, and it's almost instantaneous. God's like, he's the one. Samuel takes his, it was actually an, animal horn that they fashioned to be able to hold oil in it and he pours the contents of the horn over David anointing him symbolically saying you're the next king. Only he wasn't king yet. The Bible doesn't say that Samuel hung around for three or four days it just says he left and went to Ramah. Could you imagine David standing around looking at his brothers. Did y'all just see that? That was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I was just doing the sheep like 15 minutes ago, having a good time. Me and the sheep, I wrote a couple songs today. I was in a a groove. Y'all drag me out here, God pours oil all over my head. And then he left. Does anybody know what's next? I can imagine his dad going, yeah, you're going to get back out there and get to them sheep. You ain't king yet. You're still my son. And you happen to be the youngest. I'm still whipping you. Think about this. Think about how strange this seemed to be because there's still a king in place that is still threatened by people that is still still crazy. We're going to find out in a little bit that he's crazy at this point in time. That, it, that an evil spirit had taken him over and he's nuts. And yet, here's David. I don't even know what this means. I'm tending sheep one minute, the next minute, a prophet is pouring oil over my head, telling me I'm going to be the next king. There's something significant that's happening in this moment that is a transition that's happening. Saul is still the king, but has been stripped of God's presence. David is not the king, but has received God's presence. It's a pretty poignant thing to realize that you can be anointed and have no position, but you could also have position and have no anointing. Now, I just want to make it simple. The anointing, we, we don't say that word anymore, really. Like uh, Sometimes in Pentecostal circles will say it, like the anointing of God, like, or the, that, that preacher preaches with anointing, but it's not a common word we say anymore. I just want to shortcut it to, it's like the presence of power of God on your life. Just say it like that. And it was significant because, because you would say, The anointing of God is on him in order for him to lead and act in such a way that it's evident that the power and presence of God. It was a noticeable thing. There's seasons in David's life after this where you go, that is the power and presence of God on that young man's life. Who does things like that? So here we have a circumstance where Saul, it's been stripped from him. God says, I'm not going to be with you anymore. You're not the one. Verse 16, it says, or the verse one, it says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. God had rejected Saul and put his presence signified by pouring the oil over him, put his presence on David. So now we have, a, now we have a little bit of a quandary because we have a guy with position, but no presence and we have a guy with presence, but no position. And I want to present to you today that I think 90% of the time we're chasing a position. Positions are fun. You get to tell people what to do. You realize you can have the anointing and still be the lowest on the totem pole. You realize you can have the anointing and still have to go tend sheep. You realize you have the anointing and still have to clean up after sheep. Sheep are filthy. You realize you can have the anointing and still your older brothers not pay attention to you. You still can have the anointing and your older brothers go, why are you, why are you out here running your mouth? You you realize you can have the anointing and still not be respected You realize you can have the anointing. You have the presence and power of God in your life. And it's still not bring you what you think you should get at the moment. But if I had the position, we convince ourselves if I have the position, I might not need the anointing. Oh, a whole lot of the church has convinced themselves of that. A whole lot of the church has convinced themselves, if I can just get the position, if I, can get, if I can get everybody to watch me, if I can get everybody to follow me, if I can get everybody, if I can get the right position, then, then the position will create its own thing. And the Bible says that it doesn't. That God can leave you in a position but strip you of all the power. And so now what happens is you're in the position flailing. And a lot of the church... Struggles under people who have position but no power, and so it causes everybody to flail. If you read Saul's kingdom, his leadership after God strips him, it is chaos. I mean he's calling witches. He's doing I mean he's doing nut job stuff. David ends up going into his presence and playing the harp, and he's throwing spears at him. That's how I treat the people that help me out. Because it's a man holding a position with no presence of God in his life. And I want to present to you this morning, we have to decide as individuals what's more important. Chasing a position or chasing his presence. Because here's the problem with chasing his presence. And I want to be extremely clear about this. Is that you may have to do it for a long time in anonymity. That's a fancy word for saying nobody will know you. The problem with just going after his presence is I can't control when the promotion comes. You see, God doesn't do the thing where he's like, well, run for the political party and, and you angle and you maneuver and you get there your own way. No, no, no. God says, if you chase me, you, then you have to trust me on when the promotion gets there. And so So what we've been taught is just go to the top, go to the top, wrestle, step on whoever, just get there, get there. Success is the main goal. And if you get to the place where it looks like you're successful, then everything else doesn't matter. Now in God's economy, it's saying, I've anointed you and none of it looks like success. Can I be transparent with you? I hate that. Because I always think you've anointed me, now give me the job. Mm. But God does this whole anonymous thing, and He does it really well. Let Jesus be born in a manger. You know, who showed up to Jesus' birth? People who didn't matter. King didn't get out of bed and come down and see Jesus when he was born. Hey, I heard another king was being born. I thought I'd come down here and check it out. Nope. slept through the night. No, some shepherds on a hillside. It was people that were insignificant. It was it was really an uneventful event. In the, when you look at human history, there was no the ex, except for God telling us it happened. There was nobody that night going, hey, the king of the world has been born. Nobody woke up the whole town of Bethlehem. God does this anonymity thing with us really well because here's the issue. God's walking David through a period of him saying, what's the most important thing in your life, David? You found out that one day you're going to be king, but you don't have a position yet. What are you going to do with that? How are you going to respond to it? How are you going to work in that? How are, how's it going to how's that going to mess with you? Am I still number one in your life? Because here is what's happened to me in the past: the idea that I could get something I don't currently have causes me to do things that I wouldn't have ordinarily done. Come on, I'm not the only one in here. Please, somebody in Berkeley Springs. So, so there's a testing. We didn't have that with Saul. Boom, you're king. And what did we get? We got disobedience and chaos and the heart was wrong. But now David does this thing where it's you're anointed, but we're not going to give you that yet. We're going to see what happens. And he walks back out and starts sending sheep again. And God's saying, "Hey, listen, I need to know that your heart is right i 've looked in and saw it, and it 's good, and I need, I need that heart thing to be right for a long time, because what you 're getting ready to do is going to require your heart to be right with me. And so in our modern day culture it's a it 's a race to be famous, a race to be known, or I understand we all need we all have a desire for people to know us. the more important thing than people knowing us is us knowing him. And sometimes God does this thing where he says, hey, you know what? You're going to you're gonna have to be okay with me anointing you, but it's going to take a while for you to become who I want you to be. I've always had a problem with that, just being transparent. I always thought, even from a young age, this ridiculous idea that I could do it. I remember working at fast food restaurants. I think I said that earlier. You're like 16, 17 years old. Going, I could run this whole place. (laughs) I mean, 40 of these things, I'll run them. I just got my driver's license. I I don't even think I was allowed to be out after 10 o'clock at night. Legally, I don't think I could drive after 10. I run the whole thing. And God's like, set up, (laughs) set up settle down there Chris you may be anointed but you ain't ready you may be anointed but you're not ready I remember coming here as a 20 a year old newly married guy and, and getting involved in youth ministry thinking the same thing I run this thing then, then I became youth pastor I think okay now you're going to run this thing then I thought I could be the pastor I'll run this thing And God said the same thing, (laughs) settle settle down, Chris, you you definitely are not ready. You're definitely not ready. Because the most important thing God wants to do in your life is develop you. So the beautiful thing about it is if the creator knows you intimately, like beyond what you know yourself, then he knows exactly what that incubation period looks like for you to be the best and what he's called you to do. The problem with the rub is we live in a society where everybody is expected to be famous immediately. Expected. How many followers do you have? How many? What is this? Uh, and and we, I know it's true because every time everybody posts anything online, we're constantly going back. Who's following? Like, who's liked it? Who's like. We're addicted to it. But over and over again in scripture, whether it's Moses or Jesus at the beginning or David, they're starting out and nobody has a clue. And I'm actually really thankful about that. You know the grace that God gave me here at Hope Community Church? It was Hedgesville Assembly of God back in the day. You know what the grace that God gave me? I can make all my mistakes before you got here. Mm, you have no idea how many mistakes I've made. I know this looks all shiny and I know it looks great. And I, if you were here 20 years ago, you'd go, oh, God, help him. Help him. Just help him, Lord. Help him, please. There won't be a church left if you don't help him. I look back at that 16 years of a grace in my life where the lights weren't shining that bright on me. In a world where everybody wants the stage, everybody wants the light, everybody wants to be noticed and recognized and accepted. If the light is not shining on you in this moment in your life, don't be disappointed, count it as grace in your life. I can't seem to get past, what is it, five 400 followers on Instagram? Probably because I don't post anything, but that's another story sometimes I look at that as a grace. I'm not under the same pressure because the light starts pointing things out. What God did with David was prepared him for the light. How are you going to lead David? How are you going to lead people? Are you going to lead people with grace? Are you going to lead people with understanding? Are are you going to Do you know what that's like, David? Okay, David, before anybody knows your name, I'm going to walk you through a season of learning all of that stuff so that when you do get in power, you're different. So listen to me, every 16, 17-year-old, 20-year-old in here who, who you've got that ambition to rise straight up to the top, I'm telling you I'm thankful for that ambition in you. But don't let anonymity crush the ambition. Embrace it. Embrace it because it doesn't say David went back and then was a terrible shepherd. It doesn't say he went back and just gave up. It doesn't say he went back and didn't do what he was supposed to do. It doesn't say he went back and went, well, I don't know when this thing's happened. So I'm just going to go off and start drinking. It didn't say any that. He was as faithful after he found out he was going to be king as he was before. So all of a sudden, the anointing of God in his life didn't change him like, oh, now I'm a big shot. He just said, no, you know what? Now even more, I'm going to go back and do what God called me to do. This is my spot in life right now. I'm going to do it the best I can. And then then when you start hearing about him later, he's presented as somebody who was a warrior before we knew him to be a warrior. Talk about that next week. You know why? Because he didn't let the anonymity of his season freak him out. I believe everybody in this building, God has something spectacular for you. But you have to be okay in the season you're in right now. You have to embrace nobody knowing about it. You have to embrace not being able to tell anybody about it. You have to embrace not being able to, not being able to walk up to somebody and say, look what God did to me today. Because can I give you a little secret? He couldn't say anything about it. His dad couldn't brag on him about it. Do you think his dad was now walking around town in Bethlehem going, Hey man, Samuel just came down knowing my son is king. Yeah, I'm running this place now. My son's going to be king. Mess with me. Jesse couldn't say that. Why? Because Saul was still king and still really dangerous. If the prophet is worried about him killing him, he wouldn't have thought twice about killing Jesse. So now all of a sudden, the whole thing's done in secret. The whole thing's, the whole, nobody can say anything about anything. If there's, is there anybody here who God is doing something in your life, but he's keeping you, he's keeping you anonymous and you can't even tell anybody. If you are in that position today, just embrace it and say, God, I'm okay with nobody knowing. I'm okay with not putting it on Facebook. I'm okay with not tweeting about it. I'm okay with not, I'm okay with nobody finding out right now. This is me and you, and you're growing this thing in my life. And when it is full grown, you'll let people know. And I'm okay with that. You know what it relieves us us of? It relieves us of the angling and the working to get. If I could just do this and I get this person and this person, and if I could just do this, then 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 it would all go my way. David realized the presence of God is on me now, and that's the most important thing I could do is embrace that. And when He decides to promote me, actually, then put me in the position, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. Never be afraid of being anonymous. David's heart was the only factor God was weighing in this equation. When when Jesse marched all of his kids, all of his sons in front of Samuel, dressed up, clean, Looking like kings. God passed over every single one of them. I'm not saying don't dress up on Sunday. I got a new pair of shoes on. I got them, buy one, get one free. The Lord has anointed me. I'm not saying don't dress up. I'm not saying don't put your best foot forward. I'm not saying don't show up prepared. But I'm saying God rarely judges me by my sneakers. Oh, let me rephrase that. God never judges me by my sneakers. One of the fears I have in the church is that we become as shallow as our, our culture we promote people that look right. We promote people that talk right. We promote people that dress right. We promote people that look like they have it all together. And we seem to have failed at times to look at humans, people who God loves, the way God looks at them. God educates Samuel I feel a little bad for Samuel. This is the only second time he's done this. The first time he picked the good looking guy taller than everybody else. So he's just going into it and doing what he knows. God, if you leave this up to me, I'm picking this guy. And God had to course correct him a little bit. Hey, Samuel, I need you to understand that I'm not picking it because the people want it. Now I'm picking it because I want it. So now it's a different criteria. The last criteria you used was what the culture wanted. The last criteria you used was to please people. But now we're going to come at this from a different angle. Now, don't use that criteria anymore. Use use my criteria because now I'm picking the guy. And this is what we're going to do. I don't want you to look at what he's wearing or how tall he is or how good looking he is. I want you to look at his heart. So I'm going to help you do that. And I've assessed all these sons that have walked in front of you now and their heart's not right. Even though they got the right shoes on, even though they're dressed right, even though they're clean, they got they got colonial all that stuff. I'm telling you, Samuel, their heart's not right. So there's another one in the bunch somewhere. Go get him and bring him here, and I'll show you what a heart looks like. Oftentimes a heart doesn't match the clothes. Oftentimes the heart doesn't match the haircut. Oftentimes the heart doesn't match the outward appearance. Oftentimes the heart doesn't match. Oftentimes, the heart doesn't match the Instagram feed. Oftentimes, the heart doesn't match. And God said, I stopped looking at that after Saul. I don't even want to talk about that anymore. What I'm talking about now is I'm getting ready to show you what heart looks like. And David walks out, little ruddy kid with good-looking eyes. I don't even know why the Bible said that. This is what it looks like. It's unexpected. It's unexpected. So can I bring some relief to some of you? You may never look right. That doesn't mean you're not right. And I would advocate stop even trying to look right. Because here's what happens. As soon as you look right, they change the requirements. As soon as you match what the culture says you should look like, even in the church. Even the church, I said something first service about Brad Pitt and George Clooney. My wife told me afterwards, you just aged yourself, buddy. I thought that's what looked right. And then I realized, oh, this guy's got gray hair. I'm like, I don't even know. That's not cool anymore. I don't even know what's happening. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we try so hard to look right. We try so hard to fit in. We try so hard that we lose our heart. And what God is saying is this. If you have heart, I'll promote you no matter what you look like. Because guess what? People are fickle. One day you're going to look right and one day you're not. Trust me on that. Everybody gets old. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we look at the Savior of the world, God proves this. If we look at the savior of the world, God proves Isaiah 53 too. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. You know what the crazy thing about Jesus is if he walked into a crowd, nobody could pick him out. He looked like everybody else. There was nothing special about the way he looked. There was nothing. He wasn't put together better than everybody else. He didn't have clothes better. He didn't have a place to live. He was, he was the model for us. He was, he was the model for us. He came into the world in anonymity and, and God put him in the position as savior. He came into the world with no fanfare. And you see the resemblance between Jesus and David. David is a precursor and and God's going, watch how this works. You're expecting a king to look like this. And I'm telling you, when the king comes, he's not going to look like what you thought. When the king of kings and lord of lords comes, it's going to look like what happened to David. He is going to be absolutely anointed, but not looked apart. Can we embrace that? Is it possible in this culture to embrace that? I ask myself that all the time. I wrestle with the whole how much I should be out front, how much I should tell people, and how much people should know about me, and, and how much I should post, which obviously isn't much. But I've wrestled with it over and over again because I'm like, God, what if I get into that and my heart's not right? What if I get in that and I get enticed by something else? What if I get into it and it ends up messing this up? What happens, Lord? Am I what happens if more people know me? What happens if the light gets brighter? Is it gonna shine on something I don't want anybody to see? What happens, Lord? Am I okay with the position? Am I okay with Hedgesville? Think about it. What if none none of us ever get out of Hedgesville? For those of you online, pick your spot. Am I okay with the anointing he's given me in the place I'm supposed to be? Mm. It might not mean it looks really successful. It might not mean that, that I get a position in me, but it means I have his presence. It means my heart's right. And that's my prayer over you today. My prayer over you is not prosperity today. My prayer over you is not that you get a promotion tomorrow. My prayer over you is not that. My prayer over you is that you be okay, that you not just be okay, you desire the presence of God in your life. And if nobody else finds out about you, you'd be okay with it. That God can do what he wants with you in the dark before anybody finds out. That you can can work it out with him before the light turns on. Stand to your feet. I'm going to leave you with this. I got to visit a friend of mine yesterday. We went to a wedding in Charlotte, North Carolina for um, one of my daughter's friends who used to, she's moved and but she used to attend this church and sing on the worship team. And it gave me the opportunity to drive into South Carolina and visit a friend who is very sick. And um, I'm thankful I got to do that. I'm thankful I got to do that. I had a conversation with him, and I asked him a couple of questions. Uh, what he has is terminal, and um, I got to ask him a couple of questions. And I said, um, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I want to, I want to have an aneurysm when I die. I just want to shut the lights off. Anybody else? I just want to die of a heart attack in my sleep. If that could be one request. And I started but but I've been thinking about that lately. Not thinking about it like I want it to happen, but thinking could contemplate it. Couple ways. I don't want to burn to death, I want to drown. I don't want to get tortured to anybody else. Just so we're on the same page. I want it to be instantaneous. But I'm sitting in front of a man that's got that's got a timeline and I asked him yesterday I said what's that do what's that do to you and he said it focuses me and instantly it was like God said to me Chris that's a grace I give people ah. here I am wrestling with us, God I don't want to man I don't want to get cancer I don't want to do anything I don't want to do this I want to just man you know me Lord I just want to get it done And this, this, he's a wonderful man who's been extremely successful in life. In every area that you could imagine, successful, financially successful. And he looked at me yesterday and he said, it's laser focused to me. I don't care about anything else. And I thought about that this morning with David. He's not wrestling for people to know his name anymore. He's not wrestling for people to, he's not wrestling for a position when it all comes down to the end. And he, and he knows he's got a certain amount of time left. I mean, my heart's got to be right. He's not, there's not a bucket list that he wants to accomplish anymore. It's, I want my heart to be right, Chris. I I need to clean some things up. This is, I need to tell everybody that he saved me. I need to let as many people as I know now that I, I need to let them. There's somebody else in my neighborhood. I mean, he was saying this stuff yesterday. And I'm thinking, God, could we all get to the place without having to have terminal cancer that your presence is that important? That just you are that important to us. That we can put all, I know we got to go to work, but this is what's important over here. Lord, help me. Help me not to have to have a deadline on my life to get that way. Help me. And I just looked at him yesterday I said, Dave, that's a grace to you. That's a grace to you that I haven't gotten. I'm still conflicted about what's important in my life. I'm still complaining. I want this, I want this, I want this. And yet God's standing over here going, just me, Chris, just me. And I'm going, Dave, that's a grace to you. I'm praying that I would think the same way as a dead man. I'm praying that way. God, give me the grace to put you first. Give me the grace to line it all up and to not care about all this other stuff. And that's what David was able to do. I don't care if anybody knows me, my heart's going to be right. I don't care if anybody knows me, I'm going to do right by him. Amen. Could you lift your hands this morning and pray that way? Come on, I don't know what you've got going on in your life, but I know he's set aside this morning for his presence to be here and to minister to you. And you may be chasing a hundred different things this morning, trying to accomplish all you can accomplish. And his word to you this morning is to step aside, put it all away for, for a moment, and just let him, Go after him. Let him be the focus of your attention. He wants your heart to be right. He wants your heart to be right before anything else happens. Be okay where where he has you. He wants to work on your heart this morning. Father, I pray you do that. I pray you do that right now. Work on our hearts, God. So that you could look at us the same way you looked at David and say, We have a heart that follows after you, that's after you, Lord, no matter what else is happening, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God, Come and lift your voice this morning. Sing it out.